0: Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that's Well, see, that's complicated. Because when I first met Scotty, he was in a bad place. And I'm not talking about cell block D. His wife had just filed for divorce. And I was like, damn, homie, she dumped you when you were on lockup? And he was like, yeah, I know. And I thought I was going to be with her forever. But now I'm all alone. And I was like, damn, homie, you know what? You got to chin up, because you'll find a new partner. But you know what? I'm Luis. And he says, you know what? I'm Scotty. And we're going to be best friends.
1: Oh, God, I love that.
0: <laughs> I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions.
1: And I'm story expert Lonnie Rich of Chipperish Media. And we're going to be best friends. <laughs> Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the Baba Yaga of the MCU.
0: It's Baba Yaga. <laughs> so listen up, A-holes. We're going to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp.
1: This movie is so fucking ridiculous.
0: It's pretty ridiculous. It's pretty lighthearted. And you can tell listeners that it has infected us right from jump. (laughs) Because I found that Baba Yaga thing to just be endlessly hilarious for no apparent reason. Just a hunted look. It's Baba Yaga. (laughs) So good. Yeah. It's good stuff. But first, friends, four color facts because now we get to talk about one of my actual, honest to goodness, favorite Avengers <laughs> Janet Van Dyne, AKA the Winsome Wasp.
1: All right.
0: Okay. The whole damn movie should have been about Janet. Like, that's the last movie should have been about Janet. Everything should be about Janet. I don't want to hear you. about Scott and Hope when I got Hank and Jan. <laughs> on deck and frankly hank can have several seats just tell me about jan (laughs) so appearing for the first time in tales to astonish number 44 in june of 1963 Uh janet van dyne appeared as hank pym's partner both romantic and shortly crime-fighting partner (laughs) She originally became the Wasp to avenge the death of her father, industrialist and inventor Vernon Van Dyne. He was killed by an alien during an experiment, obviously. And so she naturally asked her boyfriend to install tiny wings in her back that come out when she shrinks using his barely-tested Pym particle technology that had already gotten him nearly killed a dozen times. (laughs) I
1: love her already uh, right,
0: G- <laughs> right. I, this is it's literally in my notes. I love her we stand a queen <laughs> Jan is a founding member of the Avengers and she is in fact the one who named them. oh yeah so cool. even though I maintain Avengers is a really stupid as hell superhero team name, you can't argue with staying power and we owe it all to <laughs> Janet.
1: Janet had a vision.
0: She That's, had a vision.
1: She saw vision how things Vision came could way be.
0: later, like, oh, right. like <laughs> 10 years later. 15. a long time. Sure. Yeah. Now, not only did she found the Avengers, not only did she name the Avengers, Jan led the Avengers. Uh-huh. And frankly, she's done an amazing job of it. Okay. She got the job basically by demanding it and then getting endorsed by <laughs> Cap Thor and Iron Man. There you go. But she's also really aware of her own limitations, even if they're more perceived than actual. For mm-hmm. instance, during the first Secret War, which I have mentioned to you is the the all-powerful being the Beyonder, yanked yes. all of the superheroes and supervillains to another planet so they could fight, and also so that Marvel could sell toys. Right. Yeah. During the first secret war, she had the humility to allow Captain America to lead the assembled heroes because those who weren't Avengers knew him better than they knew her. Oh, yeah. Right. That's nice. She would have been amazing at it. But she Mm -hmm. was like, yeah, but everybody knows that guy. That is that is legit. There's humility Mm -hmm. mixed into there. Yeah. Plus, because she wasn't leading, she was able to. Spend her time fake seducing Magneto long enough to find out his plans and then foil them all on her own.
1: (laughs) I love her.
0: Uh Uh-huh. She also led the Avengers from across multiple timelines during Uh the Destiny War. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to go into that. It's time travel and weird, but it is great. <laughs> and it's a big old cross time rip dust up against Kang the Conqueror, but also sometimes with Kang the Conqueror. It's complicated. Okay. And Jan led them through it well. She's flexible okay. in her thinking. She's smart. She's intuitive. And she can give direction without being overbearing. I like it. She also worked as a fashion designer, which means she is <laughs> I'm completely serious. Of
1: course she did. My God, how can anybody compete with this woman?
0: No one can. No one can. (laughs) It's impossible. She's spectacular. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, But because she is her own fashion designer, she is one of the few superheroes who goes through often and, in fact, constant costume changes.
1: (laughs) I love it. Does she have the Velcro rips and everything and just... You know, man, I don't know, because she
0: has literally changed her costume between panels and not as a mistake. Like she was Uh, like, oh, we're leaving on a mission. Hold on. And they're like, you're already in costume. And she's like, not the right one. You know, (laughs) I love it. But she's not always perfect. Mm -hmm. She was pro registration during the superhero Civil War, which means Mm -hmm. she was on Tony's side. And we all know what that gets you. Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: A beating is what it ought to get you. (laughs) Most recently, Jan has been thought dead, but was actually shunted to the microverse, which is a word you should get ready to hear more of if a third Ant-Man and Wasp movie happens. I bet. (laughs) I just have a feeling. Because that's basically where they were to rescue Mm -hmm. her from, the microverse. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. nobody said microverse on this movie. Just say it, you cowards. God. once she returned she returned as a member of the avengers unity squad and financed the team personally in order to avoid the problems that government sponsorship brings
1: (laughs) okay fair enough
0: most recently she's appeared as an agent of wakanda which as you'll recall me mentioning in black panther is basically the current avengers espionage squad it's pretty great yeah her powers are naturally shrinking and growing she doesn't like to grow though She prefers to shrink down. Originally, she needed capsules and then later biomechanical implants in order to shrink and grow. But finally, she had used the particles enough she can size change at will. All right. She has some minor genetic modifications, including tiny wings that are always there. They're always there, but Uh they only sprout when she shrinks. Like they stay the same size. So they
1: stay the same size.
0: (laughs) That's right. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She only uses them when she's tiny. It's fine. Yeah,
1: but if she's wearing a sweater, though, does it, like, pull the yarn or... I
0: don't know. Should we talk about unstable <laughs> molecules? Because I can tell you about unstable molecules. I'm reasonably certain we've had a conversation about unstable Probably molecules.
1: we have. Uh, this is
0: a this is a fabric invented by Dr. Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four, that mm-hmm. is very like tough and durable. And its most important aspect is that it allows people's superpowers to work through it. So his outfit stretches with him. The Invisible Woman's turns invisible. The Human Torch does not burn all of his clothes off every single time. And <laughs> I love it. They let uh, they let Spider-Man's wall crawling work like through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in Jan's case, they it doesn't snag when her wings come out.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a good
0: okay. deal. It's a damn fine right. deal. It's complete nonsense, and I love it.
1: <laughs> How do
0: we get around all this costume jazz? Unstable molecules. Move on. So in addition to the tiny wings that are always Mm -hmm. there, but again, only sprout when she shrinks. She also has small antennae that sprout from her temples and allow her to control insects. But she almost never uses that power. I don't think she's actually used that power since the early 70s. I couldn't (laughs) confirm that, but I have a suspicion. Okay. Now, I've gushed about Janet all this time. Everybody's going to be like, but what about Hope? We want to know about Mm -hmm. Hope. Too bad. Basically, she doesn't exist.
1: (laughs) She's not in the comics at all? Hope doesn't exist?
0: Not really. Not really. Mm -hmm. Like, there's kind of a Hope Pym, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not. She's nothing like this. It's nothing like this. So, Hope Pim appeared in a book that I was actually still buying off the rack, like when it was coming mm-hmm. out in the early 2000s called A Next. This would be back late 90s, early 2000s, and it was set in the near future of the 616 and starred aging characters that we already knew and a bunch mm-hmm. of their children. So A mm-hmm. Next is the next generation of Avengers, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Hope Pym is the Red Queen and a mm-hmm. bit of a supervillain. <laughs> In that she wasn't a member of A Next and didn't like that A Next was being called the next generation of the Avengers because it didn't have any Pim kids in it. So they basically Wait, kept is her she the
1: is she an only child though? I mean, do do Hank and Janet have a bunch of kids or They
0: have two and her brother was just like, All right, super villainy it is. <laughs> super villainy in the name of petty bullshit. Got it. Let's Uh, do it. You
1: know what? Everybody likes a flexible sibling who will just go along with your (laughs) bullshit plans. The thing is, the thing
0: is that I think that Hank, if he were, I think that they are deceased at that point. And if Hank Mm -hmm. were still around, he would just be like, well, that's really embarrassing, but also makes total sense. You're related to me. (laughs) And and Janet would be like, this is why it never worked out with your father. Clean up your fucking lives. Just, I'm telling you, between the lines. All right. Similarly, the ghost Mm -hmm. of this movie bears very little resemblance to the ghost of the 616. Mm -hmm. The 616 ghost is a computer scientist who invented ghost tech, which is a chip that could hold tremendous amounts of information and would actually go out of phase with reality if it started to overheat. Mm -hmm. But it would still continue to function so that they could build these machines that didn't have to worry about shunting the heat from the processor Uh because Mm -hmm. it would just become immaterial, but still keep running as a computer chip. Mm -hmm. He incorporated that tech into himself and his suit so that he can go invisible or intangible, but not both at the same time. Mm -hmm. He's fought Iron Man. He's worked for Justin Hammer. He's been a terrorist. And finally, he's kind of tried to be a hero with Luke Cage's (laughs) Thunderbolts. What the (laughs) fuck? I don't know. Honestly, and this is real. I'm not sure I've actually read anything with ghost in it.
1: Okay. I definitely
0: recognize the outfit from the movie. Like I had Mm -hmm. seen the 616 ghost in stuff, but I didn't realize until I was prepping for this show that he's a he. Yeah. (laughs) And this ghost (laughs) is a
1: she. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I think that the most interesting thing about Ghost is that he's been around for a while at this point, and Mm -hmm. we still don't know his true identity, even after all of this other stuff. He only appears as Ghost.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So, really, everything I know about him, I'm laying the cards on the table because our listeners deserve the truth. Almost everything (laughs) I know about him is from wikis.
1: (laughs) Hey, you know what? I think that you have earned your status. (laughs) That's why the fact that you don't know everything, I think is okay.
0: That's why I'm comfortable admitting this. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: The other reason I'm comfortable admitting this is after reading a few wikis, Ava apparently wore all of it better. So good. All right, but here's a fun one, Bill Foster. Mm -hmm. Now we have talked about Bill Foster before.
1: Mm-hmm. Sadly,
0: it's unfortunate <laughs> because the context in which we talked about Bill Foster was the superhero Civil War,
1: Oh, mm-hmm.
0: where Clore, the robot clone of Thor, a giant Aryan ideal who calls himself <laughs> after a Germanic god, murdered a giant black man with lightning. That giant black man was Bill Foster.
1: Oh, wow. Remember that? Uh, yeah. yeah. This instant, <laughs> wow, it's
0: bonkers. All right, so I love I love Bill Foster, he's great. Uh, I really liked him in this movie too, we'll get to it. It was really a good like sort of distillation of some of the more interesting versions of he and Hank's relationship okay. from the comics. So he mm-hmm. was originally created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, so nobody mm-hmm. has to drink. Right. In the Avengers number 32, September 1966, he's a young man working for Tony Stark in his Baltimore factory. Mm-hmm. When Hank Pym was stuck at 10 feet tall and feeling really low about it, pun entirely intended, he hired Foster to be his lab assistant as they tried to cure him. Mm -hmm. By 1975, Foster had moved out west and acquired some Pym particles of his own. He ingested them and could then grow to a height of 15 feet. Teaming up with Luke Cage and calling himself, wait for it, Black Goliath, because it was Mm 1970 fucking (laughs) five, he had his first superhero adventure. Uh Uh-huh. He'd go on to be a hero with several monikers, including Giant Man and eventually Goliath, because Mm -hmm. at a certain point, it's like, can we just stop calling every black character black something? Right. He's been on several teams, including the original Avengers and the West Coast flavor, the -hmm. Defenders, the Champions, and finally, he was on Captain America's anti-registration forces during the superhero civil war, where he was killed by Clore in a scene more casually racist than any 20 uncles at Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs)
1: god
0: now here's a yes. weird one
1: mm-hmm.
0: agent jimmy Wu.
1: okay yeah
0: okay so let me
1: let me just say something is there any chance without having looked at your notes is there any chance that this representation isn't going to be racist af
0: it actually is not Oh, good. Well, let me rephrase. Jimmy's (laughs) characterization is not. Jimmy's characterization Mm -hmm. has been considered somewhat progressive for the time. We'll talk about it here in a minute. However, he was wrapped up in some pretty fucking racist shit, uh, like around him, like going on around him. (laughs) And and if I'm honest, I also kind of think that this is character assassination by adaptation because this Jimmy Woo in this movie is funny, but he's a big fucking dork. And the Jimmy Woo from the comics is awesome. Awesome.
1: Okay. Uh-huh.
0: But before I get to how amazing he is, I have to tiptoe through the race of shit. So buckle okay. up. Okay. Originally <laughs> appearing in Yellow Claw number one in October uh-huh. of 1956. Mm-hmm. James Wu was the now listen to that date though, 1956. James okay, Wu was yes. the hero of a series published by Atlas Comics. Mm-hmm. we are before there is a marvel in 1956. Okay. So he's he's another one of those characters that survived from the atlas days into the marvel mm-hmm. days. The series Yellow Claw pitted Agent Wu against mm-hmm. a yellow peril villain who was a communist Chinese mandarin, the mm-hmm. office not the villain. Okay. Who was of course named the Yellow Claw. Now, oh god. <laughs> just in case, just in case Everyone hasn't listened to every episode of Listen Up A-Holes or or Mm -hmm. you know, they wisely skipped Iron Man 3, our episode about it, because they didn't want to watch that (laughs) Uh, movie. uh, (laughs) I will explain a yellow peril. So Mm -hmm. America's pretty racist and has (laughs) been since jumped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, unexpected. Who put this? Mm -hmm. I didn't order this, you know. (laughs) And for a while. We were very concerned for a while, and once again, time is a flat circle. We were very concerned about what was going on in China. If you are familiar with Dr. Fu Manchu is a pulp character who was very much Uh like a he's probably the quintessential yellow peril villain. And Mm -hmm. so you're hearing that even when we discuss what kind of peril they are, we're already being racist assholes. Like, there's no way for me to talk about this trope without buying into the racism a little bit because that's what they were called. They are generically yellow perils. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if you have a usually very intelligent, calculating, cold Asian, Mm -hmm. usually Chinese, but not always, villain,
1: they're a yellow peril. Mm
0: -hmm. They're always trying to take over the world and, you know, ruin America and all that shit, right? That's what they're doing. Okay.
1: You know, it's just like for, (laughs) pardon me with my, you know, but like the, the, The fact that like that is the thing always trying to take over the world that Americans accuse other places of Oh, I just that it gets that like hypocrisy just gets stuck in my throat a little bit, (laughs) you know, there are a uh, lot of rights enshrined
0: in the Constitution, but the right to self-awareness is not one of them
1: is not one of them. No, God. Mm -mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, To quote to paraphrase a comedian that I enjoy, I had the right to self-awareness, but not the ability. <laughs> That's American yellow perils,
1: so there you go, and the
0: yellow claw was their approach to that um mm-hmm. however, however, woo not not universally, and again, he's wrapped up in a bunch of other racist bullshit, but Wu right. himself was actually a really progressive he was an FBI agent. he was you know a trusted American G- man who could be mm-hmm. sent after please hear the air quotes after his countrymen like you know.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So again, it's 1956 and that's still not great, okay? But but Jimmy is worth salvaging, I think.
1: Better than it could have been though, considering Absolutely. Considering I, the I, level of assholery of which we are capable, yes. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean if
0: you look at mm-hmm. Sax Romer's Fu Manchu, mm-hmm. everybody fighting Fu Manchu is Caucasian as hell, you mm-hmm. know. Um it's not until Marvel gets that license and introduces Fu Manchu's son, Mm Shang-Chi, that we get an actual Chinese hero fighting against Fu Manchu. Mm -hmm. We'll put a pin in that because he's got a movie coming up. Okay. So 10 years later, Stan Mm -hmm. Lee, who is never a man to throw away characters, folded Wu and some of his supporting cast into S.H.I.E.L.D., Mm -hmm. He did this in Strange Tales number 160, September 1967. Wu Mm -hmm. officially joins up in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number two in 1968. But we all really learned to love Wu collectively. All of us together learned to love Wu when he led Mm -hmm. a team for S.H.I.E.L.D. codenamed the Agents of Atlas.
1: Oh, okay.
0: In addition to a few other retcons, Wu was the FBI agent assigned to handle the 1950s team of Avengers. Mm hmm. That's a very short-lived squad who almost nobody remembers. And while this is because they're a big, fat retcon IRL, that's why no (laughs) one remembers them now. They were were barely around. In the 616, it's because they were a bunch of weirdos who only had one mission. Right. As a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Wu went on to join its Godzilla squad, which is a a group of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who were hunting down the giant monster Godzilla back when Marvel had that license. (laughs) But then in 2006 and 2007's Agents of Atlas series, Mm -hmm. Wu got himself killed, or Mm -hmm. all but killed, until one of the 50s Avengers, Gorilla Man, more in a moment, (laughs) himself also a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, tells Mm -hmm. everyone about the old Avengers team, and then, with the help of some other members, restores Wu not only to full life, but to his physical self from 1958. So he's back in his prime wow Mm -hmm. they become a team again focused on dealing with the atlas foundation and if you can believe it a returned yellow claw (laughs) now going by the golden claw
1: (laughs) okay okay You know,
0: it actually works out pretty well. What they were doing at the time is that they there are lots of conversations, both sort of thematically and in character between Wu and the Golden Claw. And one of those has the Golden Claw saying they mistranslated my name on purpose to be dicks. I was always the Golden Claw.
1: Okay. so. All
0: right. So instead of telling you the whole story, because you should all go read it on your own. Agents of Atlas is great. (laughs) (laughs) the 50s Avengers are great and turning them into Mm -hmm. agents of Atlas is great and the Mm -hmm. thing I love most about this squad is that they're made entirely of characters all of them are characters that predate Marvel comics they are literally of Atlas in that they were published originally by that company pretty cool
1: I like it
0: so here's who they are (laughs) Namora a human Atlantean hybrid who is so similar to Namor they just called her Namora that's really it (laughs)
1: A great way to give her her own identity. But, you know, whatever. There's
0: actually two of those. There's a younger one whose name Arita.
1: Uh-huh. Now,
0: to be fair, to be fair, this is actually in fiction. I mean, look, I'm not apologizing for any patriarchal bullshit that's wrapped up in this. <laughs> but in the fiction, there's actually a certain amount of sense to be made from okay. this because uh-huh. Namor is Atlantis' greatest king. Right. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so not only did people start calling her that, but he was like, I'll allow it. It's kind of mm-hmm. a it's kind of a thing. It's an honorific, really.
1: Okay. Okay. And
0: then there's Gorilla Man. <laughs> Soldier of Fortune, Ken Hale, who is cursed to immortality, but in the body of a
1: gorilla. <laughs> okay. Okay. I so, mean, you know what? Okay. Like most of Marvel is like, okay. <laughs> Let's let's see how it turns out. There's
0: yes, there's often an edge that you get to where you're like, well, all right, and just hold your nose and jump. <laughs> Ken Hale was a soldier of fortune way back in the day, like way back thirties and forties, mm-hmm. who heard that there was a gorilla god in Africa mm-hmm. that if you hunted the gorilla god, you could become immortal. Turns out that that is 100 true. <laughs> Turns out that the way you become immortal is by becoming the gorilla god once you beat the last one.
1: This is why you need, you know, really explicit terms of service. Oh, yeah.
0: Do some research, man. And he did. He was just like, kill a gorilla. Uh I've done that a hundred times. And then I get to be immortal. Sounds great. Oh, I'm an immortal gorilla. (laughs) Then there's also M11, the human robot. Uh Uh-huh. He's basically a retelling of a golem story, but using a robot Mm -hmm. with death race. Awesome. They give him one job. Like, this is the very typical golem story is that they give the Mm -hmm. golem something to do, and then it just keeps on doing it. Right to the point where it's no longer helpful and then destructive. And that's Uh kind of this, like one nefarious guy gave M11 the order to kill the man in the room. And when his maker came in and turned him on, M11 killed him. But then the guy that gave him the order comes in the room. Hey, look, there's another man in the room, killed him, and then progresses out into the world looking for more men in rooms. I'm not kidding, like that's all. (laughs) it's basically a horror story right like it's a short oh
1: my god 12 yeah? page horror story sure. yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah and his name makes no sense there's nothing human about him <laughs>
1: <laughs> the human but robot yeah he's the human robot. robot
0: literally no humanity in there at all <laughs> and his designation is m11 is actually a nod to his first appearance which was in the 11th issue of a comic book called menace so he's m11 uh-huh.
1: yeah okay there you go Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Marvel boy. Not the one that I really like. Yes. I really like one of them, and it's not this one. He's (laughs) fine, but he's not my favorite. All right. Uh This Marvel boy is the child of a scientist in Nazi Germany who didn't want his son to grow up under their rule. Mm -hmm. So Robert Grayson was sent to live and learn with the Uranian Eternals. Remember, we talked about Mm -hmm. the Titanian Eternals. There's some on Uranus also. Sure. Mm-hmm. When he returned to Earth with a flying saucer and telepathy, he called himself Marvel Boy and fought crime. Okay. <laughs> As an adult, he stopped calling himself Marvel Boy because there's a point of diminishing returns on that. <laughs> he couldn't call himself Marvel Man because that is copywritten by somebody else. <laughs> so instead, he now calls himself the Uranian. Eh, uh, we do what we uh, can. Right. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Venus. Mm-hmm. Venus originally believed herself to be the actual Venus of mythology. Mm-hmm. Turns out she's a siren from mythology instead. Mm-hmm. She has mm-hmm. a magic girdle that allows her to enthrall others in love and sexual desire. Mhm. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. She can also change her appearance in all kinds uh-huh. of minor and major ways. She's not really a shapeshifter, but she can change how she looks. When Namora mm-hmm. joined the team, she actually changed from a blonde to a redhead because she thought two blondes was gauche.
1: <laughs> well, okay, then.
0: I, 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 listen, I'm just calling balls and strikes here. I just. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't throw these pitches.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All
0: right. Last one of our four color facts. Elias mm-hmm. Starr, who gets uh-huh. barely a mention, but is Ava's dad. Okay. Yes. Remember, Ava does not exist in the 616, so mm-hmm. as far as Elias is concerned, he's a super genius who goes by the nom de crime egghead. <laughs> now, I only mention this because he used egg egg shaped weapons <laughs> and devices, despite <laughs> having no egg themed powers. His name is basically an insult that he decided to make his own.
1: Oh my God.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Everybody was like, look uh, at the what? big egghead. And he was like, oh yeah, have a fucking bomb <laughs> shaped like an egg.
1: <laughs> I got your egg right here, buddy. That's right. Um, Who's got
0: egg on his face? I don't know because your face is blown off by my <laughs> egg. <laughs>
1: I just want like a Saturday Night Live skit that is nothing but uh, like somebody like me, okay, right, I wanna be a superhero, but I need a theme. Right, yeah. <laughs> and somebody's like, I don't know, everything else is taking eggs, I guess. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about how about the human robot? Well, I'm a robot and not at all human. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you.
1: We're going to press in a couple of days, dude. Make choice. I'd like
0: to be Marvel Man. Oh no 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 no. That's how lawsuits happen, kiddo. We're not doing that. I don't care what my
1: theme is, but let me just know this. Is anybody on the team blonde? Because I had a problem with that.
0: She didn't have a problem. She fixed it. She she
1: gave it up. She became a redhead. It
0: was fine. But yeah, that's really yeah. the deal. He was really smart. Everybody gave him shit by calling him egghead. And he was like,
1: I'll take ownership of that. Sure. This is a
0: reference mm-hmm. just for people who were watching the Harley Quinn cartoon. But he was just like, I'll uh-huh. blow up this egghead. And that was what was. <laughs> it was a little Bane reference for people who tuned into Harley Quinn.
1: So those are all my four oh, color yeah.
0: facts. But they're pretty great because Jan's in them
1: uh they're pretty great because jan's in them uh ant-man and the wasp cannot make the same claim so let's go ahead and talk about ant-man and the wasp before we get to the ridiculous that is janet van dyne
0: okay you better badmouth the script only and not michelle pfeiffer as janet van dyne we'll oh, no, get to no, no, it no no no
1: yes absolutely as <laughs> written absolutely as written but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this ant-man and the wasp was released on july 6 2018 it was written by uh, just a ton of people uh chris mckenna eric summers is one team paul rudd andrew Barrer, and gabriel ferrari is another team uh we have ant-man and the wasp directed by peyton reed who directed the original ant-man and is slated to direct ant-man 3 which is anticipated in 2022 so that should be interesting i have to say i like the direction I like oh, the yeah. direction of the movie. I think the yeah. direction of the movie. The script is batshit. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I mean the direction itself is actually pretty good. <laughs> no, I uh, agree Ant with Man that. On... Yeah. <laughs> right. Ant-Man and the Wasp grossed uh, 622 million worldwide. So it's not one of the hugely performing Marvel movies. It's like middle of the road, but it's not the worst, mm-hmm, you know. And it mm-hmm. improved on the previous Ant-Man movie by about 100 million, which in Marvel terms is the stuff that you have underneath the seat of your car oh, yeah. Yeah. in change. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Like,
0: Okay, great. I guess we have a uh, marketing budget for the Black Widow movie now. Cool. Thanks, Ex- Ant-Man.
1: Exactly. Whatever, right? Um, it has an 88% critic score and a 76% audience score. And I was kind of surprised by that. I would have expected the critics to be a little more critical of it and the audience to enjoy it a little bit more because the thing is that like Ant-Man... Despite the fact, and, and I'm going to talk about all the ways in which the narrative in this thing is just beyond—I <laughs> don't even—I don't even know what the hell they were thinking. Um, but the movie itself, I think, is incredibly charming. Like the—I love the characters. I love the moment-to-moment work. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, for the most part, um, it's a sillier movie than most Marvel movies. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. but you know, it, Guardians of the Galaxy is about on the same level of, of pure silliness you know in a lot of ways
0: and and gets there in more egregious ways as we've discussed yes. so yeah yes yeah.
1: it does it does mm-hmm.
0: i have a theory that ant-man and the wasp suffered somewhat being the very next movie after infinity war that was an end game
1: yeah uh, no Context, yeah, definitely in placement where it is. I think there's. I think that that may be actually a big part of why the audience didn't warm to it as much because this is exactly the kind of film that pleases audience and drives narrative experts insane. <laughs> but um,
0: after we watch Bucky and Black Panther and Spider Man uh-huh. die, we're like, "Don't come in here and tell jokes, Paul Rudd. You can't charm your way out of this."
1: Exactly.
0: And then he goes ahead I mean, and does yeah. it anyway because he's a fucking miracle. But I, because you know. that
1: was that was April 2018. This is July 2018. That's three months. Not to mention the fact that in at that point, by the time everybody who was like, you know, at all into Marvel had watched the end of Infinity War and just been like, what? I mean, I sat in the movie theater. I know this isn't the Infinity War podcast. I'm going to talk about it anyway. It's my show. Um, I sat in the theater eyes blinking looking at my kid being like wait no what how like you know so as you're just getting over that emotional space where you've seen little tom holland (laughs) spider-man say I don't want to go. Mother, I go. I I oh, my go God. It's awful. All right. Anyway, let's move. So we, even we are having trouble all these years later, having processed all of this. Even we jumping from Infinity War to Ant-Man and the Wasp are having a little bit of vertigo.
0: I can bridge the end of Infinity War back into Ant-Man and the Wasp with the conversation that happened with me and my family after Infinity mm-hmm. War. We come out of the theater. My son and my wife are distraught. <laughs> And I'm very confused as to why.
1: Yeah. uh Because
0: I was like, the hell did you guys expect to happen? It's called Infinity War.
1: Not everybody's
0: making it out. And we go around the corner and we get a little Mm -hmm. ice cream and we're sitting there eating our ice cream and talking about Mm -hmm. the movie. And my wife says, well, what's the next one? And I'm like, I don't know. And I Googled it and I was like, oh, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp. And she was like, are we going? And I said, I don't give a shit. And I didn't go to the theater. It's the only Marvel movie I haven't seen in the theater.
1: Oh, interesting. Because I just been... didn't
0: care after, the, I mean, the first eight <laughs> main movie, everybody's heard us talk yeah. about it. I liked it <laughs> okay, but I was like, it should have been the Wasp movie from Jump. I just don't care that much. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after Infinity War, it was just like, sure, just whistle in the wind. I'm just here for Captain <laughs> Marvel already. Let's go.
1: It is. It is. It is a rocky, rocky transition. It's but a tough on spot to own, be. Yeah. It's a tough spot to be in anyway. On its own merits... It's a hot mess, but it is an adorable hot mess. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. It's it's so cute. I mean, okay, first of all, way too much going on. There's oh. way too much happening here. We got Scott and his house arrest and the FBI. We've got Randall Park as Jimmy Wu, who is adorable, and I like him, but also doesn't really... He's a little too ridiculous. He's a little too, like, um, I, I just a flat joke character. Like, you can't really, you know understand that guy
0: needy Um, socially awkward FBI agent is a choice that was made it was it a choice was. that was made and they got the and right love, guy to play him.
1: I but. love Randall. Park. If it wasn't Randall Park, I don't know if I would have if I would have been on board. I'm on board because yeah. I really super like him. Um, but we've got that storyline, which is essentially not much. We've got the mobsters and Sonny Birch, whoever the hell that is. And all. oh, of yeah, that he stuff. actually
0: exists in the 616. But it, I didn't li- listen. I told you who <laughs> Cross was, who Darren Cross was. But I skipped yeah. Sonny Birch. That should tell you something.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't He's know. He's in there. He wasn't Nobody g- gives a shit. <laughs> not good in the movie either. Um, there's this whole thing with Luis and the dudes. I love Luis and the dudes. They're adorable, but they've got this. They've got to get this new account to save the business, and the business is going to die. And the then we've got Bill and Ava and all of that weirdness with Ghost. Then there is the goal for Hank and Hope of saving Janet, which is kind of central, and yet everything else going on. I mean, who the hell really knows? Um, then we've got, you know, Cassie and all the stuff going on with Scott's ex wife. And, you know, I mean, there isn't that much, you know, uh, but Cassie's presence in there and what she means to him and the fact that he is risking losing her when they have that mm-hmm. conversation and he's like, I make all these dumbass decisions and you end up paying the bill. Uh, yeah yeah, dude, and yet continue to please make dumbass decisions and not put your kid first. Like, there's all of that. Oh, no, it's no, no, no. I really like
0: how that conversation ends, though, because Cassie
1: is right.
0: Helping mm-hmm. people isn't dumb.
1: Helping people isn't dumb. That's true. But nobody needs Scott for any of this. Like, aside from the fact that, like, Captain Janet put...
0: America needed Scott Lang. When...
1: No, for that, for this... <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. This.
1: If Scott Lang, this is the world's most useless protagonist. It's a mess. All right, so everybody, you know, has heard me talk about this. Protagonists do three things, right? They um, they are provide the motive force for the story because they're in pursuit of an active goal, right? They are our POV characters and they have the most at stake. Of those, we have one for Scott. He's the POV character, but he's not doing dick. Everybody else is in pursuit of a goal and he's sort of rolling along with it. Like Janet Van Dyne put some stuff in his head and now that's all we actually need him for. And it's really weak as a narrative device because we could have had janet put that in from or hop into anything for the explanation of how she got that into his head and now he's having like dreams of playing hide and seek um you know with hope it's it's just so freaking like narratively thin and he doesn't really do anything we've got all this stuff like hope and hank are probably the protagonists as far as like the narrative goes because they have the most at stake. They're going to yeah, lose yeah. Janet if they don't do it. And they are the ones who are in pursuit of an active goal. Scott's active goal is to sit where he is until he's no longer under house arrest so he doesn't go to prison for the rest of his life.
0: It's an inactive goal.
1: It's a passive goal, right? It's <laughs> sit there. So all we ask of you, Scott, is to sit there and just... Do nothing and don't get in the way, right? But then he's out there. He's not really doing anything. He's not the one with the most at stake. He's not the one in active pursuit. We have this this, um, suitcase laboratory as a wild MacGuffin that is being tossed around from these people (laughs) like a stage diver at a mosh pit, you know? I mean, like, it just, it's all of it way, way too much and something that could have been... Interesting in a lot of ways, you know, but it's not Scott's brilliance that's solving this. It's Hank's. It's not Scott's, you know, um resilience dedication. It's not Scott's mom that's that's gone missing. Like the only thing that Scott has at stake is Cassie, and that's the thing that he's putting at risk, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um so but then uh, but there's also Scott's business. Why do we need a, a a save average Joe's play some dodgeball story in this? Like why um. I, uh, I kind of wish the that Dudes. were the story, honestly. No, I, I would have. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, because the whole thing is just insane. Ava, I think, as Ghost, like, I think she's really interesting. I mm-hmm. think that I love the visual of that. I love yeah. her, this idea that she's phasing, this idea that Hank is the reason this happened to her. You know, we have this whole thing, like everybody Hank's like, Everybody blames me for being the world's most colossal asshole, but they don't realize that it was not my fault. And I'm like, Hank, I'm beginning to think totally your fault. I'm beginning to think you really are an asshole and you Oh yeah. Bill's That's got complaints. 100%. Elias Star has complaints. Like, here's the thing: if everybody has a problem with you, problem might be you, dude. You know, uh, um,
0: Hope had complaints and kind of still does. She's just there to save her mom. Clearly, <laughs> Scott has complaints. Uh huh. You punched a fellow Shield agent or like mm-hmm. director on your way out the door. Like, yeah, the common denominator in all your failed relationships, Hank, is Hank.
1: Is Hank. Hank could mm-hmm. use a little therapy. That should be Hank's active goal because he, <laughs> he's just, and I don't care. Like, I mean, all of this stuff, it, there's so much stuff happening. It is really, really hard to care about all of this stuff. Scott, as a protagonist, is useless. His name is first on this movie for reasons of I don't even know what. You know, um, I mean, Paul Rudd is adorable. I love Paul Rudd. I love... Every scene that Scott is in, yeah. I think he's adorable. It's one of these things where there is um, there is an excess of charm and heart in this movie that makes it really watchable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The story is a hot mess. I, I started looking at this and I'm like, you know what? At a certain point, I just threw my hands up in the air and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch Luis <laughs> do some drunk history, have <laughs> myself a glass of whiskey and enjoy the fucking ride because none of it makes any sense at all. I mean, it's all completely out there.
0: After your fourth ball of yarn for your serial killer wall of trying to map this movie, you were like, that's it. I'm just going to enjoy Louise.
1: I know. Seriously, (laughs) it's a goddamn fire hazard trying to figure out this movie. It's crazy. I Um, really feel
0: that this is just the problems from the first movie, but turned up a couple of notches.
1: So did they sit down and say, "Okay, here's what we did wrong in the first movie. Let's do them wrong harder and see if we push it so far we come around the end right <laughs> was that the was that the strategy
0: um <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean Maybe. and it seems to have it largely worked out like this is the spinal tap <laughs> turn it to 11 plan i mean and it went we liked a this movie plan. You
1: know? I, I enjoyed this movie i enjoyed it because of uh because of the characters because yeah. the characters and the dialogue it was really really fun it had a lot of heart um but a lot of it like the sunny birch stuff i could not possibly have cared less about that um and Ava, I liked, but it it was, it was didn't make any sense. Like, first, okay, the first thing with Ava, we've got this really wonderful, creepy moment. You know, the first time we actually spend time with her when, like, she's got Hank and Hope and Scott all, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. lined up there. So Ava has them all lined up, right? Scott wakes up. She is interesting and weird, and you can kind of feel this, like, edgy energy from her she's got a smile on she says I'm not gonna hurt you unless I have to and there's something I mean the performance was beautiful like I really love the performance um I, I thought that that was great and then she's like I just need something from your head and her fingers glow and she's trying to go after his head and then she never says anything about she needs Scott for anything after that like then she wants
0: oh yeah she's not there for him she's there for Hank she hates Hank she wants to steal all Hank shit. Bill Foster hates Hank or at least has strong negative feelings right. about him. It's yeah, Scott Scott's one hundred percent sideline,
1: so like what, why? What is that even about? It doesn't make any sense at all and then she needs janet and she needs to extract janet for whatever that means in a world where janet has been living in this weird subatomic limbo for 30 years where apparently they also have a you know sephora and she can get all of her makeup taken (laughs) care of we'll talk about that in a second um so ava's really interesting she's in constant pain like oh my God, can you yeah. imagine with chronic pain like that, and with something that happened to her from the time she was a child? She lost both of her parents. She blames Hank, and I'm sure she's correct in that assessment because he seems to be the world's <laughs> biggest asshole. Um, there's all of these things that make her this wonderfully sympathetic, you know, uh, villain, and yeah. so I find that really, you know, like interesting. I find her interesting. We spend nowhere near enough time with her or even getting any clarity like you know they're all chasing after this lab right and you know Mm -hmm. we've got a time lock we've got two hours in order to get janet back and all of this kind of stuff but like uh ava has i don't know a couple of weeks so can we get janet back And then say, look, Ava, let's go get Janet. And then we'll give you the lab and you can figure it out. We're not going to let you kill Janet, but we'll find something else. We'll figure it out, which they do, you know. So this whole thing, it's not a lock. It's not mutually exclusive conflict. Everybody, aside from the fact that they use the MacGuffin of the lab, but that's still not locked down narratively. So narratively, we have this big, hot, messy Gordian knot of whatever. And the only thing you can do is be like, you know what? World's greatest grandma. I'm in let's, let's do this. Let's have some fun. You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is definitely one of those movies that demonstrates your point of the more writers or writing teams. There are the bigger, the mess, which this is really only two teams, but I don't feel like they were on the same page. Like I really wouldn't be surprised if the stuff we liked best out of this movie the ex-cons, yeah, the 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 project, the contract, the stuff with Scott and mm-hmm. Cassie is yeah. Paul Rudd and his writing right. partners half of things, right? Sure. And somebody was like, "But we need a supervillain, you know." Right. And, but did we though? You know, did we
1: though? Did I, we don't though? We I don't think we did. Know. The whole thing is. I don't, it's just it's it's too wild it's too much i cannot every time i think i'm i'm getting a hold on like one narrative line in there there's like five more that are just outside of my reach it's all insane <laughs> um we also have these father-daughter stories in this right um which i find actually really interesting we got hank and hope we've got scott and cassie we've got bill and ava right so we've got these like repeated kind of father or father figure stories with the daughter And it seems interesting. It seems like we have this in there. And yeah, and when you said that Ava, that ghost, originally was a man and they deliberately made her into a woman, I'm thinking, okay, so this must have been a choice. We wanted father daughter stories. And yet, I'm not sure that they say anything about father daughter relationships or that there's anything deeply involved in those stories that, like, reflect on each other or or have anything specific to say, aside from the fact that, like, well, I guess we'll just make the kid a girl, you know? I don't know. They
0: did a much better job with the father-daughter stuff in the first movie.
1: They did. And they did well with um, Scott and Cassie. I like the Scott and Cassie relationship. I love that kid. That kid is amazing. It is Um,
0: too bad that she ages out. More on that in a couple episodes.
1: (laughs) We will. We will talk about that. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, all of it is... Incredibly sweet. The uh, Luis and the dudes are always funny, and that's usually the kind of thing that annoys me. Like you've all these guys together, and they're just joking. But they are—they are all of them sweet, all of them vulnerable. Um, Luis well, they especially matter because they
0: matter to Scott.
1: Well, they're his—they're his group, they're his team, they're his yeah. people. You know, and the ex-cons.
0: And they're people he's keeping afloat, right? Like right. His, I mean. I, I'm not saying there's any dead weight there. Like they're in the uh-huh. business for a reason because we saw the last movie. This guy's a hacker. This guy's a second yeah. story, you know, whatever. So they bring skills to the table. But I mean, um, Scott's clearly the core on a variety right. of levels. And we're able to care about those guys because Scott cares about those guys. And we care about Scott, which yes. is again, when you were describing Uh their part of the plot I had the most like mid 80s bad news bears (laughs) we got to save the community center feeling when you were describing it and I was like why isn't that the
1: whole movie that should be I mean they're the ex cons that's the name of the business it's so Uh cute and I absolutely love it I love what they are and I love the relationship that they have to each other I love the masculine community you know how I love that when we have men in community who are allowed to be emotionally connected who are allowed to be vulnerable like i love that and i think those are the kinds of stories that you know we have a lot of male stories you know that's the one i'm actually interested in you know and um so all of this uh, there's so much and there's so much that i feel like could have been done if you had separated this out if we had told separate stories first of all if you had had luis and the dudes the ones at risk that Scott had to save because they matter to him, you know, like that you could see because he has something personal at stake in this, you know, he kind of wants to keep sleeping with hope. And that's seems to be like (laughs) most of what's at stake for him. Aside from the fact that Janet put this message in his brain, which really is, is immaterial. It's just like a device to bring him into the story.
0: The worst thing they do with that is so disconnect him from it that he, that When she's embodied in Mm -hmm. his body, he doesn't even remember it, which is a good gag, but it really just further distances Scott from from the main narrative. I mean, if you really wanted to tie him in there, have them sharing the body throughout the movie and switching back and forth, not under their control.
1: Exactly. Because then I
0: get to watch Paul Rudd pretend to be Michelle Pfeiffer, pretend (laughs) to be Janet Van Dyne.
1: (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And I, I do not it. hate it, right? No, yeah, that could be that could be really fun, you know. I mean, and if there's that's so what's so fucking up the contract,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, they, yeah. they're yeah.
1: If that's all related, if that all makes sense, you know. But it's not. It's it's so disparate. It really feels like. I mean, it's it's having a villain that phases in and out. I think is actually a pretty good metaphor for what yeah. this movie does in its narrative line. <laughs> it's phasing oh, in and out.
0: It's the chip. It's the chip from. <laughs> From the comic book, where it's just like, it's yeah. starting to overheat. It'll be fine. Right. It's going to phase out of reality here in a second. It'll
1: phase out of reality. Will, right. will we notice?
0: Not uh-huh. really.
1: It'll be fine. Speaking of phasing out of reality... Uh The ridiculousness of Janet Van Dyne. Now, here's the thing. I am with you. The description that you gave me at the top of this episode about Janet Van Dyne, I am with you. She is awesome. Like I love her. But here we have a woman who has been in complete isolation in subatomic circumstances, which, by the way... Hank's in Subatomic for like 30 seconds before he starts wigging out in the middle of his his ship there. She's been there for 30 years. Now, granted, we do have a sense that it has changed her somewhat because she comes out and she's a miracle healer. So there is that, you know. And Um, she specifically
0: says some of it was evolution. I'm not the woman that came in here. Exactly. That is a lot to hang out there. And I understand why they didn't explain any of that in this movie. But at the same time, I'm like. You might want to give us about three more sentences on that. Maybe you want just to give three. us a
1: little something. Like um okay, so solitary confinement is torture, right? I mean, we know yes. that it's torture yeah. that it makes people. So here she is, she's been isolated for now, you know, 48 hours or 72 or something like that or a week, 30 years. 30 years. 30 years she's been in subatomic places. Her makeup and her hair Are perfect. Her clothing is fine. She has a hair tie holding her hair back in a ponytail. And I'm sorry, maybe it's the girl in me, but I'm like, no, those snap after a while. Um, Or you lose them. One hair tie to last you 30 years? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Not to mention her hair hasn't grown. And I guess, okay, you're in subatomic space, whatever. If she was preserved perfectly in subatomic space, then she wouldn't have aged. Maybe if she was there and it felt to her like a couple of days, but it ended up being, you know, in reality, 30 years. Okay, fine. Um... All of this, she's got no mental health, no visible mental health defects. And I get, you know, some of it is evolution, some of it is adaptation and all of that kind of stuff. She's still, like, human. Like, how, how, how? You know, she's yeah. she is behaving like a woman who went to France for 30 years, not <laughs> like a woman who has been in isolation for 30 years. And her perfect makeup drives me insane. My makeup, I put it on at 8 in the morning, and by 5 that afternoon... I've got like raccoon eye shit happening like I mean and this this bitch has been in subatomic space for 30 years and her makeup is perfect like that distracts me so much that I cannot even I don't even know what Michelle Pfeiffer said or like how <laughs> how she did I was just I was so like where did she find an Ulta In subatomic space. I mean, Ulta is granted everywhere. It's like Starbucks, but I didn't think they went subatomic. So I don't know what. I don't.
0: Michelle, I can't hear you over your eyeliner.
1: (laughs) I can't.
0: I can't. I can't. I can't hear you over the eye. I don't. Well, roll them. Let's just roll it. It's. <laughs> let's,
1: just, let's not ask any questions, right? You know, I mean, I get Michelle Pfeiffer is a beautiful woman, but this woman has been through some shit. and There's not yeah. enough
0: post-apocalyptic stuff going on with her, right? And, well, and
1: Yeah. And...
0: It really isn't the kind of movie where we want to deal with that stuff. But it's also like, you guys keep asking us to think about it at least a little bit. 30 years is a long time. 30 years is a long time.
1: But if in her experience, and they said something about time is different there. Like, in her experience, if that's like, you know, a week. And she's just wigging out, and then she comes back, and her husband's old, like that could be a thing, and her kid's all grown, like, and then you've got that angst of like her realizing what she's lost, and like all of that, that could have been really super interesting, and yet, you know, like yeah. that's not that's not what they put her through. So, they, but they didn't earn anything that they put her through. She comes out like Glinda the Good Witch, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. I'm here to give you my wisdom and tell you that the power was in your red shoes all along. Like that kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so weird and it's so distracting. And yet, like all of this stuff, nothing makes any sense. It's all a big mess. We have Bill, right? Who is perfectly fine with Ava killing Janet or whatever, um, but has... Well, but he then is puts at the us- beginning? But then... Yeah. Changes Puts his, his foot mind down when he's like, You will not touch that little girl, you know. Um, I and then and then all of a sudden isn't okay with it, and then he gets backed up into an elevator by a bunch of ants, and then like, I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand, like, none of it makes any sense. So it's such a mess, and yet I was charmed the whole way through. Now, some of that might have been the whiskey, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie.
0: Also, also, mm-hmm. also, and there should probably be a term for this yes. story expert, so you can come up with one. But the yeah. the thing that I think of with this movie, and this happens a lot, and it happens a lot with Marvel movies, maybe mm-hmm. not to this level, but yeah. that the, the overall package is so interesting and or charming and mm-hmm. or action packed and or the dialogue is great and or we're here for these characters, you know, whatever it is that It's not that this plot doesn't make sense. It makes enough sense, right? We know what everybody's doing and why they're doing it. It's not a tight narrative package, but we get it. We're not Uh sitting there confused, right? We've sat in movies, been confused, and that ruins Mm -hmm. the movie. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening. So that's not a problem. We know what's happening and we largely know why, but it's not really given narrative teeth, but we're fine with it because the ride is okay. Right. (laughs) Right. The ride's fine. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not going to turn this all into like a guardian shade all day, but that was actually my first experience with the, with guardians one. The first time I saw it, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I came out of the theater and I was like, well, that was dumb as shit and fun. And that was was enough. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that was one where more viewings did not help that impression. Right. (laughs) But like, In this case, I'm watching this and I'm going, Uh this is more fun every time. It doesn't get better, per se, but I have fun with it. And I don't know. I I wonder with these kind of, uh, with the bigger budget, you know, action Mm -hmm. movies, not necessarily all Marvel movies, but like the bigger budget stuff like this, where we're, yes. we're, we're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're gonna do an action movie that's also gonna have some heart and some comedy. I feel like there's a lot of don't work too hard on the actual <laughs> story we're going to carry well, through this on charm or whatever happens yeah, a lot they're going to make their money
1: no matter how bad the movie is I mean they're going right. to make their money right you know um, and there are certain things that I think when you go to an Ant-Man movie which is a like there's there's a level Marvel and then there's B level Marvel you know there's the ones that like you probably don't expect as much from and I think that Ant-Man is is part is like that kind of franchise um, but yeah there is something about like you know they're they're really riding on their charm you know rather yeah, than necessarily and they necessarily. know it I think they know it I think that they know it but it drives me crazy because one you know, one revision through that draft with a with a red pen and a sense of uh, like something, you know, yeah. Yeah. would have made it so much better because it wouldn't have lost any of its Trump. I mean, this is my thing. Like, there are different values to different stories, and mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. always about a good narrative. There are tons of values, but when you have a good solid narrative underneath, it elevates the rest of the values. It makes everything that was good enough better because the narrative underneath it is is tight enough it doesn't need to be like absolutely bounce a quarter off of it perfect but it should make some kind of like Basic sense. And we've got a lot of this narrative phasing going on because there's so many different kinds of stories interacting with each other and just missing, like just mm-hmm. missing each other. Just they're not locking on, they're not connecting. Um, so, you know, my argument, of course, and I realize I got a dog in this fight because I'm a narrative expert. So, this is the value that usually matters most to me. It's just that there's no reason not to go through it and make the story tighter. Um, just because you don't have to, you're still gonna make your money. I would argue that I think that it would it would get more traction if it had a strong narrative as well as all of yeah. this charm. yeah. so, um, so yeah, so for me, like, I, I I appreciate it for what it is, you know, like, and I did enjoy it. I would watch this movie again. like I mm-hmm. it's fun. And my God, luis can drunk history his way i could do an entire movie that is nothing but luis doing drunk history you know monologues under the effects of truth serum that honestly you know now that we're now that we're here toward the end i'm gonna say favorite part for me drunk history luis i loved it
0: uh ant-man 3 is 100 percent narrated by Luis. That's what yes. I want.
1: Luis tells the story. Luis is the grandpa the and the princess bride for the whole thing. The right. whole but thing. We never, yes.
0: we never actually cut away to anybody yeah. doing the movie. It's just him telling it and them saying and the words. And them
1: saying the words. Drunk history, Luis. I could do that all day yes. for 90
0: minutes. Mm-hmm. For 90 minutes. That's uh, what I want.
1: I'll do 120 of that. It is so adorable. <laughs> I loved it. So, what's your favorite part?
0: Well, this is really hard, and and I realized I realized when we got to it that as much as I enjoyed this movie, very mm-hmm. little of it stuck out. You know, yeah, like, and yeah. I think that this is I'm realizing this is tied to that whole. There's a little too much going on. Yeah, and I really think that much to my surprise in this movie that had a lot of stuff that made me laugh and a lot of you know big dumb superhero ideas in it mm-hmm. that probably Cassie and Scott together.
1: Oh, is my yeah. is my
0: favorite part like partly because of the heart right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also because when when she disobeys him and takes the the mm-hmm. the trophy to school yeah that is a really good and completely believable kid move yes that she could not possibly have realized would so yeah. escalate the conflict over here right like that's right. a really that's a strong move and that he when he gets there and he gets it out of the bag and he's just like no peanut i mean the whole yeah. thing like he's so there's well, that and there's the part the movie, about
1: yeah where that was what had gotten her involved in it to the point where she was in danger and he was going out to save her and that's what he was risking all of this for like if you just give him something at stake but yeah. anyway I've been beating that drum all yeah, for the last anyway, hour. so that's yeah. it.
0: Mm-hmm. And their conversation about her being his partner, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah. don't laugh. And he's yeah. like, I didn't I wasn't laughing. You'd be great. It, mm-hmm. You'd be great. I'm the problem. It's right. a so really, anyway, it's just really real, it's so but sweet. also, uh, yeah, just super sweet. And she's obviously like, um, uh, well, I mean, obviously, the actress is very talented, but what mm-hmm. I was going, I meant I, I was afraid it would sound like I was talking about the actress. But I mean, Cassie's obviously yeah. very precocious. Like, yes. she's she's a smart, like emotionally smart and also mm-hmm. uh, intelligent, smart kid yeah. having this conversation with her dad. It was just really uh, but but not so far above their level that it became two mm-hmm. adults talking. It's right. just, I, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, yeah, if that had been the actual emotional center of this if there had been an emotional center in this movie yeah. at all now yeah. that i think about it and that were it that's
1: an improvement there you go yeah i don't know it's a shame but it was it's still fun
0: <laughs> i agree it's still yeah. fu- it's still fun if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up A-Holes.
1: This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our April producers, Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Kevin, Alice, Erica, April, Abigail West, and Jonathan. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. Trying to help people is not dumb.
0: To find out how you, too, can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or, well, the 60s were fun, but now I'm paying for it.
1: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Hills. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Captain Marvel. Until then, I want nothing to do with you. Look at my hairdo. I'm all business.